Hello, this is Len Tengis welcoming you to the iPodcast AGCMO Weekly Podcast. In each episode, we'll feature information about a contractor, specialty contractor, supplier, contracting agency, owner, or legislative or regulatory issue pertinent to the construction industry in Missouri. We'll feature industry professionals and other construction industry representatives to help our listeners stay up to date with current and future trends in construction. So here we go. Welcome back to iPodcast AGCMO. Today we have for our guest, Tim Weiss. Tim is the CEO and DFS at TJ Weiss Contracting, and you'll have to call him and ask him what that stands for. (laughs) (laughs) So Tim, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got in the industry, what projects you're looking forward to right now, how's everything going to TJ Weiss? Okay. To solve the first issue, DFS stands for Director of Fun Stuff. Um, <laughs> I started TJ Weiss in uh, 1994. Uh, we're a commercial wall and ceiling contractor doing business in the eastern two-thirds of Missouri. We have offices in St. Louis and Jefferson City. Some of the projects we're currently involved on are the, the south end zone up at Mizzou, we just finished the uh, the Fulton State Hospital up in mid-Missouri. We're uh, currently uh, working on Washington University's East Campus expansion, St. Louis University Hospital. We're looking forward to starting here in a couple uh, couple months, next couple months, the uh, Ballpark Village, both phases on that. So have quite a bit of work going and, and a real nice backlog. Now, you've also been involved in some national initiatives also, haven't you, with uh, wall and ceiling folks? Yes, sir. We've uh, started a union contractor organization association on a national basis to cover the interior systems. Uh, organization is called Signatory Wall and Ceiling Contractor Alliance, and we our intent with the that national organization is to promote the union construction industry on our side of of the the work on the interior exterior system side to be able to have a relationship with our uh, uh, labor supply partners the carpenters the laborers and the the painters and also the plasters so we are a single entity but a multi-sourced association so we're we're all pulling for you know the wall and ceiling industry and pushing for uh, for better uh, better times for our industry and uh, while maintaining relationships with four uh, different trade associ- or uh, labor associations enough to keep you busy pretty much so <laughs> well speaking of being busy last year in 2018 i don't know how much time you and i spent together between Meetings in St. Louis, meetings in Jefferson City, meetings at the state capitol on the whole issue of prevailing wage. You want to talk a little bit? I mean, I could sit here and talk for the next two hours about how much time we spent together. But from your perspective, how did that process go? I I think the process went extremely well, especially considering uh, our end result. It was, I, I consider it a good agreement. As with any good agreement, neither te- neither side feels they got exactly what they wanted. I think we came up with a 
a solution, an end solution that is palatable to union contractors and still gives the, uh, the areas where there are no union contractors and no union contractor presence the ability to, uh, to be competitive in their own little regions. So, Now, the five points that really came out of that, as I see it, there were five significant changes. The first one was this minimum construction wage per county that basically came from, at that time, Senator Schatz mm-hmm. and Merrick, the Missouri Economic Research Center. How's that? Has that impacted you at all? Have you seen that yet? Not yet. Uh, I actually just this morning I saw the the draft of the new wage releases, and I did see the the three counties that or four counties that I got to see were uh, St. Charles, St. Louis, Jefferson, and then New Madrid or New Madrid, mm-hmm. however however you want to say it. And the wages for most of the for the trades that I employ in the in the St. Louis region, if you will were very similar, you know, so they came the the wage computation came out the way we had hoped it would. New Madrid, there were a lot of the construction minimum wage for multiple ter- multiple trades. So I I think it's the wor- working on the surface first go the way it it was designed to work. And that really kicks in, that minimum wage kicks in when there's less than 1,000 hours per county per occupational classification, correct? Correct, correct. So that was sort of the second component of this revision. The third component was the consolidation of some of the occupational classifications. We went from 42 down to 20 or 21 has, has that, how, how's that hit you? Most of those were were logical. The consolidation of of the trades, you know, you might have let's let's use a carpenter for example. They had a carpenter, a lather, a, a floor layer, all the sub trades that are under the carpenter heading. And in, if you looked at it, most of the the packages for each of those little sub trades were very similar going in. You know, minor differences probably wasn't a dollar per hour separating on the entire package separating them so the the logic behind combining and going from 40 to 21 to make it simpler was there on the new wage rate sheets that are published they're still carrying it and this is department of labor i think it's a good idea they're still carrying them all but all the subcategories but they're listed under the main category so so the form looks very similar to the form all the contractors are used to seeing in the spec book. So I think it's a good idea. They did write. So you, you only have 20 numbers out of the 40-some there's 40 some categories listed, but there's only 20 numbers. So if you look at the carpenter, it's at, and I'm going to, I can't, I'm going by memory, but I'm going to say it was $55.70, give or take, on the package in St. Louis. And so that covers the tile, the flooring guys. It covers the lathers. It covers all the subtrades under the carpenter. You have the same with the operators. You had the same with the laborers. So it, once again, it on the surface, first go around, it looks like it's working the way 
we anticipated it. So the consolidation hasn't really created any problems in your back office, your folks, your people who are doing your accounting and entering and all this. It's hand in glove so far. So far, so good. It, and once again, this doesn't go into, hasn't gone into effect yet. So this is just the draft. So we're still dealing on, on the old rules on prevailing wage. So, but I don't foresee any issues going forward with the new uh, wages that are printed. And you know, once once again, that is the minimum you're still going to have to pay according to the contract you've signed. But the dollars and cents aren't going to hurt the contractor. It's just, they're just right where they need to be. Actually, they're. The prevailing wage is a little bit less than each of the percentages because, or each of the individual packages for the fact that it's a composite of all and an average of all wages under that category. So, so the, the prevailing wage itself that's on the document is less than what we're actually paying, but it's, once again, within a dollar or so. So it's not a, whole, a major ordeal. Now, you and I sat through all the hearings. We sat through all the conversations last year, and you know and I know that, you know, we've been talking about the union side of the house, but certainly a lot of this was driven by the open shop and by a lot of the counties that feel that the imposition of the union rates in some of these areas was making it non-competitive for them. So I haven't heard from any of those folks since this has gone into place? Have you had any conversation or dialogue with those folks? Have you seen anything one way or the other? No, not not at this time, but once again, with this draft being out there and looking at, you know, once once again, New Madrid County down in the in the boot heel, you know, if, if you impose a St. Louis wage on on folks in that in that area, a St. Louis prevailing wage, which through the old system, could possibly work its way all the way down there. That prices those folks out. You know, there is not a lot of work in that area that that is being done, Union, and and the whole economic structure in that community is totally different than the economic structure in St. Louis. And I think that's where these differences had to be considered. You know, the major metropolitan areas have a higher cost of living and a and so their their wage package was was different than a, a an extreme rural community, and so we had to had to at least acknowledge the fact that these rural communities, when they were trying to get a public works project done, a small public works project done in their area, and if they were hindered by having to pay a St. Louis prevailing wage in their area, where nobody in that area makes that same amount of money. It became a burden on them. So, I once again, I on the surface, it looks like things are are working as we had anticipated. But really, ultimately, the success or failure of this new structure is based on, as I see it, the cornerstone of success is whether contractors report or don't report their work hours. <laughs> it's all up to us, baby. Yeah. It it it, it now. Now it is time for the contractors to exert, I want to say, be a responsible contractor. Report the hours if you're working in. The only way you're going to get a higher prevailing wage in some of these rural communities, if they've got work coming up, 
you have to work, do work in those counties and report your hours to bring the prevailing wage up to the standard that union contractors are paying currently. It's imperative that the union contractors step up. If if we don't do this, we aren't protecting our our employees, our companies, and and we're we're just creating our own downfall. Part of the rationale for this structure is that in the perfect world where the contractors who work in those counties report the hours and the rates per classification per county, ultimately the wages that are paid for the project in that county are exactly reflective of the wages that are paid for that classification in that county. So it's a it's a system that works as long as people play by the rules and as long as people report whether they're union or open shop, if the hours are reported, the system is set up so that the hours reflect, the wages reflect exactly what should be paid or exactly. is being paid. Exactly. It's if, if you do your job, you report the hours, and, and, you, and there's more hours that are union in that area, the prevailing wage in that area will go up. If, if, nobody rep- if you go and work in an area, you don't report the hours, the prevailing wage is going to s- stay down. You know, if, if you do 900 hours in, in a, a community and you're the only 900 hours that are reported, it's going to go back to the, pr- the construction minimum wage. But if another guy's got 200 hours in that county and now you have 1,100 hours, that prevailing wage will become the union prevailing wage or close to it. So it's imperative that every hour worked in every county under every wage category is reported because, you know, once again, you can have 999 hours. You just need three more hours to get over that 1,000-hour threshold. So if you're a small contractor and you think, it, it's not going to affect me, yes, it will. Please, please report your hours. And just for clarification, that construction minimum wage that's talked about, that is not specific to construction trades. As I understand it, the Construction minimum wage is calculated by an average of all wages for every type of work, whether it's a clerical worker, a brain surgeon, a truck driver. All those wages that are reported in that county are averaged, and that's the average construction. That that is the construction minimum wage in that county. That is accurate. Okay, so... So it has nothing to do with construction. So regardless of what you're doing, if the hours aren't there, the electrician, the plumber, the carpenter, the mason, the truck driver, everybody would be basically paid the same wage that would be prevailed on that job. All across the board. Okay. Reporting keeps things in alignment with what's going on in the county for that occupation. Not reporting. All of a sudden you're at a question mark. You you revert back down to the construction minimum wage, which is in the twenty dollar range. So it's hard to run for, a- for the entire package. Now, once once again, the wage sheets were simplified, so it it doesn't show the fringes. It just shows one number, the total package. So let's use the carpenter in St. Louis at the fifty five dollars and some change. That's fifty five dollars for the entire package. 
which is fairly close to uh, the carpenter wage package in in the, the St. Louis area. So that means that a merit shop contractor that wants to do work there has to match that $55 in change number on on their payment. So they're either paying their guy $55 on the check or they're putting money into a 401k or and paying for health insurance, but he has to be able to justify that he has spent $55 and change on each of those people that are working on that project. Now, I'll, I'll give a little brief infomercial here for AGC of Missouri because last year when this bill passed, we had a bookkeeper from one of our member firms come in, do a video of how to complete the form, we recorded the video. It's a brief 10-minute video that's up on our website. If you go to www.agcmo.org and look in the labor area, it takes 10 minutes. You can sit your bookkeeping staff down in front of it. It's click here, do this. It's a, it's a cookbook-type operation of how to report these hours. So it is not rocket science. It just requires the rigor, as you said, to be a responsible contractor. Exactly. It's a change and it's different nobody likes change it's not a whole lot more difficult it's just different so contractors leadership has to stress to their you know accounting staff how important this is this is what we fought for as an industry to to be able to protect the prevailing wage and if we lose it it's our own damn fault during the dialogue last year, this was not a union or open shop issue. We had both union and open shop contractors testifying in front of the Senate and the House to protect prevailing wage. There are so many advantages to it in terms of setting a fair standard, allowing for our craft workers to be compensated fairly for what should be done in those areas and keeping the work at a quality level and training level and all the other things that go along with treating the craft workers in the field right that as much as it is a union open shop issue that's just how much it isn't a union open shop issue that's really about treating the people who are doing the work properly exactly and we had several major open shop contractors provide input and and direction on this because we all find it's very difficult to bring new people into the trades. And the open shop contractors realize how it's difficult for us at bringing them in at a union wage. At a merit shop wage, it's even more difficult for those folks. So they're looking at it and saying, at least we have a floor to buffer ourselves. And, and so we're able to attract have a chance to attract better better people into the trades, to work in the trades. So the merit shop contractors, they were defending the prevailing wage too because they understand that if there is no prevailing wage, there is no floor, we will all be fighting to try to get somebody to work for us. And the, wait, the wages will get driven down, the quality will be driven down, and we, at some point in time, we will not be able to get workers. So it was, I guess you could consider it a bipartisan effort between the, actually, if you want to consider bipartisanship across the board, it was bipartisan between labor, 
in Merit Shop, our union in Merit Shop. It was bipartisan between Republicans and Democrats. It was uh, bipartisan between labor and management. Everybody, everybody came together on this to bring us across the finish line and pr- protect prevailing wage while still giving opportunities to uh, uh, smaller outstate communities to have what they need to do to be able to do some of their infrastructure in their areas. So closing thoughts, Tim, as we wrap up, anything else you want to say before we uh, bring this to an end here? I'd like to thank all the all the members that uh, put, there's a lot of folks that put in a lot of time. Leonard, you did a lot. Doug Martin did a lot. Terry Briggs did a lot. Tim Green did a lot. We had a great team that we put together. And I'm cautiously optimistic that we're, we've got a, a situation that is palatable to all parties. Once again, it's a good deal. It's not a great deal, but I think it's palatable to all parties. We can make it work. It's up to us as contractors to, to do our jobs now, and we'll see how it goes. And hopefully, hopefully we can hopefully put this to bed for the rest of my career at least, and yours hopefully. Well, hopefully going forward now into 2019, you'll have less time in Jefferson City and more time in your role as DFS. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, thanks a million. I really appreciate no it. No problem, Len. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. It's easy to subscribe to iPodcast AGCMO in the iTunes Store or on Google Play. As always, you can visit us at agcmo.org for additional downloads and information. Thank you.